Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. And so what we do at Dow Jones very specifically is look at what are the regulators demanding? What do they want you to do? What are the specific data points that you require? And which workflows do you want to use them in? And there are very different workflows, which within, for example, a financial institution, you have the onboarding of your new customers. And in those situations, you may have a little bit more time. Obviously, there's the service level in terms of opening a bank account is faster and faster, but you have a little bit more time in that regard. You want to look at potentially more data then once you are a customer of a bank, you're going to be amongst millions of customers. How do banks can then adapt to check additional data points? And today you, the, the customer may be clean and have no adverse media, may not be sanctions. That could change, right? Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung. And while we are coming to grips with AI, with the rise of ChatGPT, mid-journey and stable diffusion, it is important that we should put things in context about artificial intelligence. One key area is the use of artificial intelligence in risk management and combating financial crimes. To help me understand how this is done, I have Joelle Lang, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Risk and Research from Dow Jones. Joelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bernard. It's great to be with you today. Today is a very interesting date because the Wall Street Journal is part of Dow Jones. And I think you have a very well-known journalist. Actually, I know it because one of my friends who I've interviewed on this show, Nuni Pernell, has always been constantly putting up pictures. It was the, today is the 32nd birthday of Evan Gaskovich, right? It is, yeah. And it's it, it continues to be a, a sad and, and, and challenging situation. Having a, a colleague, a, a friend of many of our, our colleagues here at the Wall Street Journal and, and Dow Jones are wrongfully detained. And there are people working, you know, around the clock to hopefully have him released sometime soon. And it's, it is a, a real tragic situation in that regard. But, you know, we're all hopeful for Evan's release and continue to work hard towards that. And we wish you all the best in trying to get him released from Russia. So we want to know your origin story. How did you start your career and eventually land up in your present position with Dow Jones? Well, I guess we all have our stories. And, you know, I think for, for me, I, I, I grew up in the Midwest and in the U.S. I, I happen to be from a, a family that had some German origins and grew up attending in a, a German school and learning German from the age of four, uh, an immersion program where, you know, all my lessons were in German. And that, in a way, kind of brought me to where I am in that I eventually, went, when I kind of tested through German and high school, went on to university. I always wanted to live in Germany. I, and I moved in 99 to Cologne uh, on a program through the US government. 
actually met my wife in Germany, who's from the UK, and ended up going over to the UK, where I did my master's and in a way kind of fell into the world of anti-money laundering and financial crime, started working for a company by the name of Acuity, which had been divested from Thompson Financial. It was the former Thompson Financial Publishing. Started working in sales there and and absolutely loved the industry of payments and anti-financial crime data. And over the years have really evolved into working in sales roles, being passionate about product, working then in product management, moving into kind of executive roles uh, as I moved on from Acuity to Dow Jones and have continued now for over really a, over 18 years in, in the world of, of, of payments and financial crime. And one important question I usually ask, because there's a lot of younger audience who's actually listening to this podcast, can you share the most important lessons in your career journey? Well, yeah, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great mentors as well as experiences through through that journey. And I was remember early on in my career, really going through stressful situations and times where, you know, you're pushing towards achieving goals, having kind of interactions with customers and colleagues. And, you know, you get an email late at night that that is kind of emotionally charged. And I think, you know, I had a, a mentor early on that just always told me, look, it's always important to sleep on it. You get an email late at night that's emotionally charged. Just make sure that you remain calm and sleep on it. And I think that's always been a great bit of advice for me. I think in addition to that, there's, I've had mentors throughout the years have, you know, talked to me about hiring and looking for good people and, and really what makes people successful in this industry. And I think that I heard it best kind of characterized that, you know, those that do well have an engine and they also have intellectual bandwidth. And the way that I've interpreted that over the years is uh, obviously the engine is clear, right? You need to work hard. You need to be motivated. The intellectual bandwidth piece, I think, is just a, a combination of curiosity and creativity. And I think that, you know, the, the people that I see in this space are doing well that, you know, again, have that baseline engine, they're very motivated, but have, you know, that curiosity and creativity, I think is, is definitely something that I look for definitely when I'm hiring as well. And it comes to the main subject of the day. I want to talk about Dow Jones and also using artificial intelligence or AI in risk management and combating financial crimes. So maybe to start and help my audience on the subject, can you share the global vision and mission of Dow Jones and what it does? Well, Dow Jones, uh, you know, being a, an information provider and, and, and also the owner of various journalistic entities, we're, we're very much focused on providing trusted journalism to, to help organizations make decisions. And in, in relation to that, we have, you know, core, the core built pillars of being unique, ubiquitous and united. And so just kind of, you know, double clicking on that uh, unique that we have, you know, very unique assets in terms of the trusted journalistic pieces that we put out, as well as the, the content and databases that form our offerings, U ubiquitous. And we're a global company, you know, we were pervasive throughout the markets in relation to our, our, our products and services. And United, that's something that has really been a, a key part of our management team's focus is that we're, you know, we have offerings that are direct to the customer. We have offerings that are to organizations, uh, but ultimately it's business professionals that are making these decisions and we, and we look to serve them. I think more specifically in terms of my role, you know, looking after the risk and compliance business, as well as our research arm, uh, we call it the risk and research business. 
But in many ways, you know, what we do is very much focused on the identification of risk, various risks, but also finding opportunities. So when I look at the various use cases and the various, the various customer challenges that we're looking to meet, we're helping our customers to effectively identify various risks, be that money laundering risk, anti-corruption risk, capital markets risk. On the other side of things with our with Factiva and with our our um, our our information on and the wider media, we're able to help identify opportunities. And you know, speaking to a colleague today, obviously being here in Singapore about the the Chinese character for crisis uh, mm. also includes opportunity, right? And so they talk about Wei Z and that character. I think that kind of encapsulates you know what we what we do in relation to the identification of risk and opportunity. I think for myself, who have actually been the head of retail for Singapore Post, where I actually have to handle remittances, so I understand what risk management, anti-money laundering, and also financial crimes. But for the greater general audience out there, I think it may be good. Can you define what constitutes risk management, anti-money laundering, and financial crimes to level set my audience in understanding this complex subject? Well, sure. And, and happy to do that. And the origin story around our the, the risk and compliance business at Dow Jones kind of goes back 20 years to, you know, a time uh, over 20 years ago uh, where you had uh, essentially dictators in various countries that were some f- famous uh, stories like, for example, Sani Abacha when he died in 1999, his wife was found at the airport with suitcases full of cash. Uh, and it turned out that in the 90s, uh, Abacha and his relatives and close associates um, had been extracting cash from uh, the Nigerian economy and effectively placing it in European banks, placing it and then layering it and using these various money laundering techniques. And so the origin story of Dajun's risk compliance was that the major banks, particularly the Swiss banks, got together to say, we want to be able to identify political exposure to effectively identify politicians and their relatives and their close associates. And, you know, we were approached as well as a few others to build databases on political exposure. And over time, we've continued to add to those databases with sanctions and uh, sanctioned individuals, sanctioned entities, as well as profiles on criminality to build up a database to actually help organizations to identify high-risk uh, people and companies within their with uh, w- within their organization. Can you describe the financial and reputational impact on organizations if they do not manage their risk well or fail to capture some form of financial crime that may be even happening within their organization that they are not aware about? Well, it and and that can happen in 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 various different ways. And you know, I think we often talk about the different types of risk that we're helping our our clients to mitigate. And so there's there's obviously the regulatory risk, the, that risk of actually being fined. And so that is uh, related very directly to sanctions. You know, sanctions are absolute, particularly for, you know, when you're working in a country that where you're you have to adhere to their, their sanctions regulations here in Singapore with MAS, in Hong Kong with HKMA, the US government with the, the Office of Foreign Asset Control. And so it's those jurisdictions you work in as well as the currencies you trade in. It's really important to be mindful of ensuring that you're not working with anyone that's on those those sanctions lists. 
And obviously that the consequence of that can be really significant. We've seen fines over the years of in the billions of dollars for for various banks. The other side of it is then, you know, a reputational side. So obviously a lot of the data that we work on and a lot of our modern solutions are focused on uh, adverse media. And so if it turns out that you're working with uh, a money launderer, a fraudster, and that comes out in the press, that has significant reputational damage. Obviously, with various money laundering scandals, mm. obviously, there's been a few here recently. You really don't want to be that organization that's in the news to, to have you know known that you're working with uh, a potential fraudster or money launderer. Mm. You're referring to the Ch- Chinese Fujian gang, which was actually apprehended recently for money laundering in Singapore, which was a very really, which is one of the major news here. So one thing I'm pre- curious: what is the role and perspective of the Dow Jones Risk and Compliance Division, particularly in the realm of say managing risk and combating financial crimes? And what kind of challenges typically you've seen organizations, businesses, or even governments face specifically in this area? Well, it's it, it's a huge challenge for organizations, and and what we really focus in on is balancing effectiveness and efficiency. And so, those are kind of the buzzwords in our space, of course. But and but I think it really drilling into them is important. So, what do, what do people mean by being effective and efficient? And I think the the what we're what is really important to note is that often compliance teams are cost centers and obviously don't generate a revenue. They you know the they are trying to protect the bank uh, or protect the the corporation from a fine or a reputation. But sometimes it's very intangible in that regard. Uh, but there's so much pressure to be effective. So really, are you catching the, the 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 data points that you need to catch? No one wants to miss anything, and so it's really important to do that. However, uh, you also need to be efficient, and oftentimes in the quest to be effective and actually look at all these data points, you can create huge amounts of inefficiencies, which then potentially lead to you missing something as well. And so it's a real balance. And so what we do at Dow Jones very specifically is look at what are the regulators demanding? What do they want you to do? What are the specific data points that you require? And in which workflows do you want to use them in? And you know, the, there are very different workflows which within, for example, a financial institution, you have the onboarding of your new customers. And in those situations, you may have a little bit more time. Obviously, there's the service level in terms of opening a bank account is, is faster and faster, but you have a little bit more time in that regard. You want to look at potentially more data. Then once you are a customer of a bank, you're going to be amongst millions of customers. How, to, how do banks can then adapt to check additional data points? And you know, today, you, the, the customer may be clean and have no adverse media, may not be sanctions, that could change, right? And then lastly, is the payments that your your customer sends. So you know your customer, but what about the payments that you're, you're sending out? You need to check against the beneficiaries. And so oftentimes our data is used in all of those different workflows. So new customer, ongoing monitoring, and then also we slot our data into a lot of the payment filtering solutions so that the banks can check any payments going out the door to see that those beneficiaries are not sanctioned. Mm. And it's also becoming very complex because it is now global as well. Sometimes you you, you may just slip into it without realizing it, but we, based on this, is actually the, your solutions actually flag it up so that they're aware of that. Absolutely. And it's really the cross-border nature that's the risk. And going back to the origin story of Dajun's risk compliance, 
and why uh, our business is based in London and you know we have our global research center in Barcelona is because there's so much cross-border traffic. You have politicians in Italy going to open a bank account in the UK and vice versa. And we see similar paradigm in Asia, right? Mm. We see a lot of money coming into Singapore from around the world. And there's a real focus in Singapore about checking the source of wealth, uh, checking who these individuals are, are, do they have some political exposure? And, and so it's really important to look when you're doing that analysis of you know, the country of origin, but also the country of citizenship. And those may, may be oftentimes, especially with high net worth individuals, very different. Mm. So what's the one thing you know about risk management and combating financial crime that not very few do? Well, I think we have a really unique status at Dow Jones. I think it's really very, very different to anyone else that works in this space in that we're, we have the Wall Street Journal, and then we also have this fantastic risk business. And so, you know, the last time I was in Singapore, I was here with our CEO, and we were off seeing the regulator talking about it was just after the guilt crisis in the UK, and we're talking about inflation, and we're talking about interest rates. But in the same conversation, we're also talking about, you know, the guidance in relation to name screening here in the region. And that's a really unique perspective. You don't really often have that. I guess similarly, I had the pleasure of being in, in Davos last year with the Wall Street Journal, got to see Satya Nadella talking about ChatGPT. Mm. And then, you know, we're working on solutions to help our customers automate due diligence reports and use generative AI in relation to, you know, capturing risk. And so we really sit at that intersection. So I don't know if it's necessarily something we know that others don't know, but we have this unique opportunity to really uh, be right at the forefront of inflection points on technology as well as regulation. Mm. I also know that recently Dow Jones has this newly announced uh, risk center advanced screening and monitoring, which is actually based on the best in class risk data that you actually already have and also adding cutting edge machine learning algorithms. Can you talk about the solution itself? And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's also, it's very much uh, at the intersection of um, my new role. I, I guess very recently I, I um, was elevated to, in addition to looking after our risk and compliance business to also look after Factiva. And as mentioned, we call that risk uh, and research. And the, the new advanced screening and monitoring tool, in many ways, encaps encapsulate those two solutions. So for years, customers have used the baseline structured risk and compliance data to identify politicians, sanctioned individuals, structured negative news, where we've actually built a profile on an individual that has mm -hmm. been arrested, convicted, or charged of a financial crime. In addition to that, they've also often bought a, a seat of Factiva.com which is a global aggregation of news. So it includes the Wall Street Journal, includes Reuters, includes various uh, publications, trusted publications, credible publications from around the world. And, and they've, they've bought that additionally so that they could cast a wide net on negative media and media on the counterparty they're looking into. And what we've done with this new advanced screening and monitoring solution is really brought those worlds together and and really leveraged a modern technology to perform high volume checks against both of these databases. So 10 years ago, if you wanted to do load millions of names or check millions of names against Factiva, it was quite difficult because mm. although Factiva is highly structured, there's distinct tagging on all the articles, it, you were still using kind of old fashioned Boolean searches to really hone in on the content. 
Whereas we kind of scoured the market to look at all the new AI solutions. And we chose a technology called Ripjar out of the mm. UK, which really does some fantastic things in relation to taking the corpus of Factiva, distilling it down, but then also taking the ability for them with their enti entity resolution capability to extract names, extract metadata, which is really useful in the matching process. And then also the AI is able to drill in and really understand the articles that are most relevant to that uh, grouping and then surface that so that customers can really efficiently do their negative news screening. Mm. So uh, what makes it stand out, say, from other risk management solutions that exist in the market then? Well, it's really specifically focused on this, what, what we kind of call a, a new paradigm of screening and monitoring. So, you know, for years, there's been very much kind of rules-based engines that are mm. focused on structured data. And they, they have definitely got better and better over the years, but it's very much predicated on having a structured data set. And oftentimes, unstructured data was more difficult to bring into that automated environment. And so where we're really setting ourselves apart is that with organizations that are now ready to in a way, kind of identify the art of the possible and bring together these two content sets in, mm. a, in, a, in an efficient manner, uh, particularly for the negative news piece. You know, it's, I think in future, there'll be even more data points that come in, looking at private company data, looking at other additional data nodes that could actually be consolidated uh, in the profiles that are identified. But this step change of, of solving this problem of baseline negative news and expansive negative news is we feel you know truly unique in the market mm. I, I think this is very interesting because unstructured data actually provides a lot of insights and i think uh, building that knowledge-based graph to actually try to uh, put the structure and unstructured data together so you can actually get more insights specifically so i think you have given a very good understanding of the AI and machine learning capabilities that how to refine that process. Can you talk about how the solution tackles, say, false positives, given that machine learning tends to provide solutions that are probabilistic? And of course, there will always be trade-offs in specificity and sensitivity of the data. I think this is something that you probably have a lot of, put a lot of consideration and thought into the product. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And and I think going back to that, you know, this is we very much kind of talk about the last 20 years and how solutions have evolved and with rules-based engines and also to an extent the regulatory expectations. And I think that that is a really interesting piece to kind of drill down into. And so, you know, years ago, I can remember back in 2008, the New York regulator going into New York banks and actually entering in transposed characters, right? Mm. Almost trying to catch out the bank to say, what if this happened? How, how would you deal with it? And so there was actually a, a movement, it's almost come full circle in a way, is that in the early days of doing these types of checks, it was very much exact matching. Um, but then the regulators were keen to ensure that organizations were using more variants. And so they would look at expanding algorithmically into a more Levenstein kind of fuzzy logic approach, looking at thresholds. But th that also, I think, had its pitfalls in that organizations may kind of set like an arbitrary percentage level to say anything below 80% won't match, anything above 80% will match, without really looking into the context of, you know, what are the data points that could potentially make that match more uh, sound? And I think, but I, you know, the 
the piece around really understanding variance, understanding the, the variance expectation of the regulator was always a challenge. It was almost like the regulator was saying, we want you to have lots of false positives so that you that it's almost like a warm blanket. The more false positives, they, they, clearly they're casting a wide net. You won't miss anything. But again, as we talked about earlier, that inefficiency can actually lead to a lack of effectiveness. I think what we're seeing with AI, I guess the way I would characterize it is previously in those kind of first 10, 15 years of, of, of screening and monitoring, you would ask the system a question, you get lots of answers. I think the art of the possible with AI is that you're now able to really ask the question and get a response. And mm-hmm. the precision of that response is quite high if you're able to leverage a lot of the metadata that you have on the individual, right? And also, in many ways, certain attributes you know, go beyond the standard metadata of name, date of birth, country, really looking at other pieces of information if you're able to use them that can help to disambiguate and really hone in on the answer to the question. Mm, and I think with, of course, the generative pre-trained transformers that will actually take another step up from trying to make sense of that data from what I'm alluding to what you just said. Yeah. So, so specifically in the Asia-Pacific region, the regulatory landscape is pretty unique and challenging. One question I probably have is, how does the diversity of the region, both economically and politically, actually impact the complex anti-money laundering processes? Well, I think there's just always a, a, a lot of specificity to the different markets. I think I go back a, a, a few good few years, you know, in my early days at Dow Jones, we identified that the often for our, our, our customers in China as well in Chinese-speaking regions, mm. that when they were looking at the U.S. government's Office of Foreign Asset Control sanctions list, they actually wanted us to translate the, the list uh, from English characters into Chinese characters. Oh. And then in addition to that, take those Chinese characters and convert them into Chinese commercial code. And that was because within payment environments, they actually wanted to match number to number rather than name to name. And and so, and we've seen that evolve over time and that that continues to, uh, that solution is now 10 years old. It, the, you know, the, the precision in relation to the translation, the matching on the codes, I think that's been a key factor. We also see, you know, certain pieces like in Japan, we focused on organized crime. There's been a specialized data set that we've worked on there. We've also worked on very specific politically exposed persons data mm. in Japan. And then there's just, you know, the specificity of the regulation is 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 keen. We, we actually look at the regulator in Singapore as one of the leading lights around the world. That uh, we we tend to see the regulator actually leaning into giving a lot of prescriptive guidance to organizations to of what they should do. Often in some jurisdictions, it can be quite vague. So yeah, I think it's it's very much a mixture. And as you say, the, the region is so diverse uh, that it really takes having people on the ground with the linguistic skills to really understand not just the context, but also the matching paradigm is we just talked about the algorithmic approach. You bring in Chinese characters, kanji, katakana, hiragana. It's mm. it's it's a complex area which which re- requires sophisticated solutions. Mm. Currently, with so much geopolitical events happening, I think about the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine, or even the recent Hamas Israel conflict. What is the mental model to strike the balance between, say, economic recovery and anti-corruption efforts, which actually affect the integrity of the financial sector in the countries, which sometimes can be tricky because of 
with authoritarian governments in the region. So what's the mental model to actually look at this? But that's a that's a really, really good question. And I think there's a there's a couple of different facets to it. When you look at the Russia Ukraine crisis, really, and the data paradigm that came out of that, we actually almost 10 years ago uh, built uh, a data set called Sanctions Control Ownership, mm. which essentially was a, a database of entities that are owned or controlled by sanctioned individuals. And that was really important after the initial invasion of Crimea. Um, and, and then most recently, with the most recent invasion, uh, we saw a number of Russian oligarchs that were sanctioned. They obviously owned a, a tremendous amount of assets around the world. And there was a uh, a big push post the invasion for organizations to un- identify their Russia exposure, um, whether they could do business, not do business, if they, you know, it went all the way through to property and yachts and whether those those could be maintained. There was a whole license paradigm in relation to it. And, you know, I think equally that with geopolitical events, with terrorist financing, recent, you know, articles talking about Hamas using crypto in relation to the funding of, of of their programs, the scrutiny that organizations have in relation to understanding their exposure and how they fall full of what is effectively a global fragmentation that's happening right now across not just geopolitical sanctions, but also in terms of supply chain and really identifying are your counterparties, are your suppliers, are even the customers, the importers of your goods, are are they sanctioned or are they potentially is there a more nuanced kind of trade sanction in relation to them, which which is definitely a, a trend we see on the market? Mm. So I, I think one question that always been cropped up so far in AI is, of course, generative AI and its propensity to both augment, I think is true, should be fair, and also create misinformation in the form of context of, say, financial crime and risk management. What are your perspectives on that? Well, we, we have a number of perspectives. I think it, it is a, a challenge for us because we, we we kind of sit in three buckets, I would say. So the first bucket, we are a publisher, right? Mm. And not just Dow Jones, but our parent company, News Corp. Collectively, we, we own some of the best journalistic assets in the world. And we are very keen to ensure that those, that those, that journalistic integrity is protected and, and how that data is essentially used within within large language models right and then the second bucket is with with factiva we are effectively you know an arbiter of we are the kind of the compliance officer for the publishing industry because we effectively pay royalties to newspapers around the world that contribute their publications to factiva and then we use those factiva Factiva is used for multiple use cases. And, you know, there is a real demand for from our customers to use Factiva in a lot of these new generative AI use cases. And that it's important for us to really take that seriously and communicate with our publishing community around how the, that content's being used. But I guess the third is as a, a compliance technology, effectively a reg tech ourselves, we want to harness this technology to help mm. solve customer problems. And it's so exciting in terms of the ability to bring efficiencies for those that are performing due diligence, particular on counterparties, the ability to aggregate information, the, the ability in a way to kind of mimic what a researcher does. So part of our business is that we do due diligence reports, for example. And when a researcher does analysis on an individual or, or a company, they're effectively kind of, you know, 
looking into things, they find a lead, and then they 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 go down that trail at that lead. Then they find another lead. They go down mm. that trail. And the way that this technology can effectively mimic that activity, as well as in a way, kind of auto summarize the output, is truly exciting for the the compliance industry. But we what we need to ensure is a couple of things. One is the journalistic integrity. You know the trusted content that that flows into these models. And then also we take data privacy very, very seriously. Mm. And I think when, when organizations buy a product from Dow Jones, they know that we put it through its paces in relation to the various data privacy regulations. Uh, and that's, that's truly important because, you know, you don't want to use a product that is potentially giving you misinformation or hallucinating or all the, all the, all the different pitfalls of, of AI, right? Yeah, I think this is also a very good application of AI in a really important area that's actually affecting the world. You talk about just now your experience of speaking to the the leadership in MAS. What would be your advice to say CCU executives or even government officials who are thinking about risk management with artificial intelligence? Well, I think it's just important to to really understand kind of your technology providers, their view in relation to how they see themselves as a controller or a processor of information, really getting educated on on the the various data privacy laws and the interpretations around the world. We we always say, you know, particularly in relation to licensed journalism, don't commit a financial crime to combat financial crime, right? So mm-hmm. don't go off and scrape data from the internet and take journalism and effectively use it to to, to fight financial crime because if you're if you're scraping content, you are potentially violating uh, intellectual property, copyright, and we're seeing with legislative developments in Australia, in Canada, you know, a real respect for journalism in that regard, and that wave will continue. So I think it's just there are so many opportunities uh, for efficiencies, but you know, there there is a duty of care there to understand that you're uh, not falling fall of other regulations when when trying to comply with regulations. Mm. So it comes to my traditional closing question then. What does GRID look like for Dow Jones risk and compliance in the Asia-Pacific region, specifically with regards to the ASAM solution and also the market expansion? Well, we 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 really want to continue with our focus on, uh, in a way, uniquely uh, understanding the regulations of individual countries and markets having that kind of cultural specificity uh, of our approach. And ultimately, organizations trust us. Uh, and, you know, they say that kind of the opposite of trust is verification. And uh, with our brand, with our day in, day out, kind of focus on trusted journalism, as well as publishing content, which is going to help, you know, mitigate financial crime, be aligned to the regulations. It's something that every day we need to prove that. And customers verified as well. We also have external audits. We have reviews of our content, but ultimately it's about that trust. And, and so what we're really excited about with ASAM is that it's bringing together these core properties for the first time in a, in a very efficient way, a federated search, the ability to do it at high volume. So it's bringing all those kind of key ingredients and core components and just making it much faster, much more efficient, but keeping those underlying values, paying for content, paying royalties for content, Building content to the regulations, you know, being on the on the balance of effectiveness and efficiency, having really distinct categories of content, and filling the, those categories all the way to the top. 
I think that's something that really has, has set us apart and we're really excited to kind of continue to, to progress with. That's a very thoughtful response, Joel. So uh, many thanks for coming on the show and really have this really um, interesting conversation that covers actually very different areas from risk management, combating financial crimes, your ASAM solution, and also how artificial intelligence is being applied into this area of work. So in closing, I have two questions. So my first okay. question is, any recommendations that have inspired your life recently? Well, I, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, I love uh, books and I recently read, and, and it's going to sound like I'm, um, I'm, I'm trying to uh, impress people in, in, the, in Dow Jones because it's actually a book that was written by the former editor of the Wall Street Journal. He's actually the editor at large now, Jerry Baker. But he actually has written a, a book recently that that really hones in on kind of trust in institutions, and 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 I and I think it really kind of encapsulates that last point around trust and verification, right? And so, what's so important for organizations right now is to be transparent in in relation to the decisions they make, and also you know live up to trust and. And and it's it, it's a tough time now in the world in terms of governments, in terms of the corporate community, in terms of various institutions about ensuring that 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 trust is is there. And so I thought that was a really inspiring. You know, it's something we've been thinking about a lot. And I think that book, which recently came out, I very much recommend. You know, really hones in on that on that narrative. There's a good recommendation. I'm probably going to check it out. So, how can my audience find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on I'm on Twitter or now called X as well. But we do a lot of LinkedIn activity. That's probably the main main place. But we do a lot of events around the world as well. Uh, so definitely look out for us, and we'd be great be great to interact with your community. Mm, definitely, this video can be found on YouTube, and also on the audio will be available for all podcast platforms. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia A N A L Y S E Asia in any platform of your choice, whether it's Threads, Mastodon tweet or even blue sky so joel many thanks for coming on to have this conversation with me and i look forward to speak to you again soon thank you bernard <laughs>